This is Changing the Rules, a podcast about designing the life you want to live. Hosted by Casey Dempster and Ray Lowe, the luckiest guy in the world. Good morning, everybody. This is Casey Dempster speaking to you from beautiful, chilly downtown Woodbury, New Jersey. I'm here with my co-host, Ray Lowe, for our podcast, Changing the Rules. And we are also being monitored and um, taken care of by the greatest engineer of all time. So it's not goat. It's kind of like geet or something. <laughs> I don't know. It's You're Taylor, on your own Taylor our way. engineer. Um, Changing the Rules is a podcast about change and transition. And um, we know that a lot of people resist change because it makes them very uncomfortable. They they just don't like the idea of, of something new. But we believe that... <clears throat> Whether the change is being in, in, initiated by yourself or by an outside factor, sometimes you can't avoid it. And to make it more comfortable, if you are in control of what's happening, it can make the change easier. But in order to be in control, you have to have a plan. And that's kind of what we talk about here is planning planning your life if, so that you can accommodate the changes as they come. And uh, so, you know, we want you to have a plan, but we also know that sometimes things come out of left field. And so you also need a playbook to handle those things that are flying in from left field. So just because something has always been done a certain way doesn't mean you have to keep doing it that way. If you have your own game plan and playbook, you're in control. Right. Morning, Ray. So before I introduce our guest, who is a very smart man because he's in Florida while we're here in, in, in freezing Woodbury, New Jersey. But but um, we're going to talk about a couple of things. We're going to introduce Phil in a minute. And uh, then a little later, we're going to talk about, I just came back from a trip to Atlanta where I was investigating some things like where I want to live in my old age and stuff like that. And I have a couple of comments that I think might actually be appropriate for this. And, uh, and then we're going to talk a little bit more about our Friends Connection Conference that's going to be coming up on April 17th. We'll give you more details. And we, and and the program is starting to take shape, so I want to give you a little more feedback on what you're going to learn and why it's so important and how it fits into your game plan and your playbook as we go. So let's bring on Phil Burgess. And I met Phil a bunch of years ago. Uh, Phil has been on our uh, television show before, and he has written a book called Reboot. And he writes a column called Bonus Years for the Annapolis Capital Gazette. And he's a very, very active guy, and he should be retired. So, well, Phil, my understanding is he failed at retirement twice. So, so Phil, <laughs> welcome, welcome to Changing the Rules. Say hello to our guests. Well, it's good to be here, Ray and Casey, and uh, it's good also to be in Florida. <laughs> well, you're much smarter than we are, but but uh, uh, let's take a couple of minutes and talk a little bit about um, what you've decided to do with your life, because you're an active guy for a guy who, uh, by all stretches of normalcy, you know, if we go back to what our parents did, you, you should be in Florida on the beach right now, and you're working, okay? Yeah. So, so give yeah. us a minute and talk about the book that you wrote, 
a few years ago called Reboot, and why you wrote it. Well, uh, the uh, the short answer is that I always dreamed of retiring when I was 60 and uh, having my house paid off and having a boat and having a little money to, to live on, and that I would be in seventh heaven and everything would be great. And uh, luckily, things turned out that way. I reached about 59. I uh, had an opportunity to retire. I'd just been through uh, several uh, uh, mergers uh, that, that were good to me financially. And um, so so I retired. And the next thing I knew, after about three months, I was bored to tears. <laughs> so then I started, anytime anybody asked me to do something, I said yes. And like three months later, I was working 55 hours a week. I should say I had obligations that probably took up 55 hours a week. And 40 hours of those were things that brought no satisfaction at all. I just done. I just said yes because that's the only way I knew I was still alive. And um, so then, uh, what I did is I readjusted everything, rebooted, and I decided to become a consultant to help people uh, rearrange their lives after retirement. And uh, and I did that for maybe a year. Uh, and that was very rewarding. It was productive and satisfying. And my definition of of a calling is when you're doing something that's productive and satisfying. There are lots of things that are productive, you know, that, that are not satisfying. There are a lot of things that are satisfying but not productive. Um, and, uh, you know, I have friends who play golf. That's very satisfying, uh, but it's not very productive. Uh, and I have friends who, you know, uh, clean toilets, um, and that's uh, very productive, but it's not satisfying. So, so you have to find something that's both satisfying and productive. And uh, so then I started uh, doing that work, but that that got old fast. And then a, a close a colleague asked me if I wanted to go to Australia with him to uh, be part of a four-man team to privatize the largest uh, telecom, telecom company in Australia, and I immediately said yes. That conversation was held on a Thursday night, and I said, when do you want me to be there? And he said, Monday. So, so I took off for uh, Australia, and my wife was a uh, uh, counselor, uh, college and career counselor at the local Christian school, and she couldn't get away because that's the busiest time of year as you get into the new year. And um, so I went over to Australia for a couple of months and ended up staying almost four years. And during that time, I had a lot of time to think about, you know, what really went wrong. And in my own retirement, why did I go through all these terrible adjustments that were not satisfying and some of which were, were painful? And I decided that, you know, that we're not intended to retire, that retirement's a bad idea. I came to the view that uh, it's better to wear out than rust out, and that means that we should, you know, work in some capacity, paid work, volunteer work, enrichment work, um, uh, in-kind work, find some kind of work to do that keeps us engaged with other people uh, because that's what we're really called to do. We're not called to just, you know, live a life of endless leisure and amusement. And the whole idea that later life should be a time of endless leisure and amusement was foisted on us in the uh, in early 1960s 
by the Dell Webb Company, which had advertisements uh, for their uh, retirement communities that they were starting to build in, uh, in Arizona and then Florida and elsewhere around the United States. And, and the image they portrayed was of, you know, very youngish old people riding bicycles and playing croquet and, and living a life of leisure and amusement. And it looks so good on TV. The only thing is that when you start doing it, after about three days of that stuff, it's, it's uh, you, you know, you find yourself saying, what's next? Or you find yourself saying, is that all there is? And, uh, and the answer, of course, is no, that's not all there is. And you haven't lived your entire life learning to do things, becoming practiced in certain things, becoming expert in some things, uh, just to say at age 60 or 65, I'm going to throw all that away and start a new life of play. So that's when I decided that when I got home from Australia, which I did in 2009, that I was going to write a book that reflected my own experience with two failed retirements and my own conclusions after reflecting on that for several years. And that's what Reboot is all about. And Reboot essentially says what you should do when your career is over, but your life isn't, is to take a transition, decide what from your old life you want to save, throw away the things that you don't want to, you don't want to save or you can't save, uh, and then move to a new life. And uh, that new life should be centered on work of some kind, not just paid work, although that's fine, but retirement could also be uh, centered around uh, enrichment work or in-kind work, other kinds of work that I mentioned earlier. And that that way you will remain uh, engaged with other people, which is the best single predictor of positive aging. And that way you will continue to do things that are productive and satisfying, which is the best definition of following your calling that I know. So I think that's the key to how we spend our later life. One final thing, and that is that the later the the uh, the period of our later life uh, is 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 in some ways just the same, and in many ways very different from the our previous years. If we take the years from 20 to 65, that's 45 years. Many things happen during those 45 years, but most of the things that happen are good, like you get married, you buy a car, you buy a house, you have children, you get a job, you get a promotion. Uh, and most of the things that happen are predictable. Um, and, and yet in the years from 65 to 90, that's a, you know, that's a period of 25 years. That's one third of your life, one third of your life. And people who reach 65, 40% are going to reach 90, 75% are going to reach 85. And so most of us are going to live at least 30 uh, more years, 25 more years, uh, to have an active life. And so what are we going to do with that? And, the, and, the th and, and many things happen during that period of your life, but there's a big difference. The big difference is that many of the things that happen between 65 and 90 are, are not good. They, they, you, you go to the doctor and you come out with a very different outlook for your life than you had <laughs> three hours earlier when you went in. And the second thing is that most of the things that happen are unpredictable. And so, you know, and you have less time and less capacity to fix whatever's wrong. You've so been, you've been, last, 
You've been thinking about this. Very different from the first uh, forty-five. Yeah, you've you've given this a lot of thought. We need to take a short break here. You're listening to Changing the Rules with Casey Dempster and Ray Lowe, the luckiest guy in the world. We will be right back with more exciting information. Okay, we are back, and we're here with Phil Burgess, and Phil wrote about the book Reboot, which talks about uh, how things impacted his life and what to do when your career's over but your life isn't. Uh You've you've gone on from that because you actually have practiced what you preached, isn't that correct, Phil? Yeah, it is. I I went back to work uh, uh, full time, you know, in my in uh, one of one of my several careers during my working life, and then when I came back, I uh, immediately started writing my I wrote my book, and then I followed that up with um, a lot of speaking engagements and workshops on the whole idea of rebooting and positive aging and then in 2012 i started writing a weekly column called re- called uh, bonus years and that celebrates the lives of people who do interesting and productive things in their later life okay so so this was your way of staying productive isn't it you you found your niche and you were able to say i can impart really good information to people by writing a book number 1 and by second by having this uh weekly column that you write and my understanding is that during this column you interview some really exciting people and you get a chance to find out, and I think you used the word here about uh, uh, positive aging, okay? Uh, Tell us a little bit about positive aging, and maybe it's, you know, the opposite, negative aging, and then what I'd like you to do is is find a story from one of your recent columns that you can tell us. Well, positive aging in the the literature on the uh, aging, which I got into after, uh, 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 as I was writing my book, um, the literature in gerontology and the literature on disability and all that. One of the interesting things that I found was almost everything about aging is negative. Huh. And yet, you know, I didn't feel, I felt, you know, uh, at a loss. I felt unhinged. I felt uh, disconnected and without an anchor, but I didn't feel you know, I wasn't uh, over the hill. I didn't feel over the hill. Um, I felt like I still had a lot more to give. I felt like I had a lot of wisdom, but nobody asked asked me for it. And uh, so I was kind of trying to figure out what's this all about. And that's when I discovered that all these, uh, all this literature on aging, which focuses on pathologies, has been supplemented in recent years by another point of view, which is that, yeah, there are some pathologies to getting old, and that strikes different people at different times. And when, it, and when a pathology does strike, dementia or a disability of some kind, uh, then, uh, of course, your, your life changes. But for most of us, we go through the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, and some, some of us even the 90s, where we're still capable of doing all kinds of things, including taking care of ourselves. And so the whole discipline of successful aging, some, sometimes some people call are in the successful aging camp and others are in the positive aging camp, but they're pretty much the same. And that says there are many upsides to aging. All we have to do is to, 
you know, be alert to the possibilities and to take advantage of the opportunities we have as older people with lots of experience, lots of wisdom, lots of knowledge, um, and in many cases, lots of free time. And, uh, and there's, there's all kinds of opportunities for us to, you know, to follow our, our big calling, which is to, you know, help our neighbors and, and repair the world. So uh, that's, that's what I, you know, that, that's the way I view the positive aging um, paradigm. And I think that most of us would benefit from adopting a positive aging uh, perspective. Also, just to make one other point, that is almost everything we read in the papers, even today, are uh, uh, age columns on later life and columns about aging and the, even most of the research today, it's still about pathology. Uh, in a way, it's not unlike the news about our society. Most of the news about our society are about its pathologies, which are real. But my gosh, you know, if you go outside your office today and go to lunch, I mean, most of the time the people are pretty happy. Their kids are doing well. They've had a, you know, a good uh, New Year's and Christmas holiday behind them. They're looking forward to the next year. I mean, the stuff we read in the paper doesn't come close to reflecting the experiences we have in everyday life. Well, the same thing's true for older people. The only trouble is younger people read all this stuff and they this this and they come to the conclusion that their that their father or their grandfather is now a geezer and really has to be helped to do all kinds of stuff. And they kind of cut him out of the the stream of real life. And that's really unfortunate for them and for the geezer. There's nothing wrong with being a geezer. I love it. And, uh, <laughs> and I love uh, being, uh, I love being a papa. I have, I just, this morning when I got up, I took off my night shirt, which says happiness is being a papa. And uh, I have uh, three little, two little grandchildren, three kids and two grandchildren. And, you know, that's another thing that happens. One of the things we talked earlier about all these changes that occur between 20 and 65, between 65 and 90. One of the things that happens in there is you get grandchildren. We came, we used to come down to Florida for three months a year. As soon as we got grandchildren about two years ago, uh, uh, all of a sudden the magnetic pull of grandchildren has reduced our time here in Florida to about six weeks. <laughs> and so because we don't want to be away from the grandkids. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. know, and, and besides, it would be bad for them to be away from us. <laughs> well, you know, before before we get too far, because time's running along here, take some time and talk about this column that you write and give us an example of the kind of interview that you give, because I think it's really refreshing and I think it's something people are going to want to read. Well, my column, uh, I'll give you an example. I was, uh, my wife and I, we got a, one of the things I've written about in my column is the is, you know, what do you give older people, you know, for gifts at, at Christmas, for example, or for their birthdays? Well, they already have a lot too much stuff. Most of them are downsizing. So I've written a lot about experience gifts. So, um, and uh, consumables like, uh, you know, a jar of marmalade from Great Britain or something. And um, uh, so my kids, you know, turn that on their head and they start giving us experience gifts. And one of the experience gifts they gave us was, a uh, week, a long weekend at the Biltmore in, in North Carolina, Asheville, North Carolina. And we went over there about six or eight months ago, 
And I got off the the uh, out of the taxi cab and walked to the door. And the doorman's there. He's an older guy. And he says, good day. How are you? Good to see you, Mr. Burgess. And you know, that's a very, uh, very on top of things. They knew who was coming and all that. And so I said, well, what's your name, sir? And he says, my name's Bert. I said, well, Bert what? Bert Miller. So I started talking to Bert every time I went in, every time I came out. After about the third day, I said, hey, Bert, why don't you meet me at the um, – in the lounge when, when you get off this afternoon, because I knew he got off at four. And so he did. So I write a story about this guy. 70, he started when he was 71 years old. He's now 84 years old. He retired and he was, yeah, he was just like me. He was a, a retired policeman, but he was bored to tears. And his daughter and son-in-law took him to dinner one night. And she said, you know, uh, the Biltmore's hiring people like a doorman and people like that. And he said, yeah, I, I, I couldn't do that. She said, sure you could. He said, that's too much red tape. So no, I have to do is fill out a form. He said, ah, I wouldn't want to do that. He, she, she said, well, I've already got the form. It's right here. And by the way, I've already filled it out. <laughs> so she had filled out this form for him to, to apply for the job. So he said, ah, they would never take me. She said, well, I'm going to turn it in and see what happens. So long story short, he, he got the job. He's now had the job for 14 years. And he's happy as a clam doing this job. He's never, he said, I've never done anything more rewarding in my life. And so when I wrote this column about him and I called him up and I said, hey, Bert, I've got this column finished. And I said, it's going to come out on Sunday. Do you want me to get you any extra copies of the paper? He said, thinking he'd say, yeah, get, yeah, send me a copy. He said, yeah, yeah, could you send me 12? <laughs> and so I said, yes, for getting to the Sunday paper costs $3 each. And uh, so... Uh, we went out to the 7-Eleven, spent $36, got, got, sent him the, spent another $7 to send them to him. <laughs> but I also sent a copy to the, um, public relations people at the Biltmore. And another long story short, they, uh, and in this column, I said, you know, we're going to return to the Biltmore for no other reason to talk to, to have a reunion with Burt Miller. He's as much, uh, a symbol of what the Biltmore is all about as any of the artifacts there. And uh, so the public relations people had a little ceremony. They um, they they showed the other employee, hundred employees, what Burt Miller had done, and and uh, I think they gave him a little bonus or something. But you know, it's that kind of. I get a lot of joy doing that. Uh, I met a, a guy named James Hatch, who's a former Navy SEAL. He was the he led the SEAL team that tried to find uh, uh, Bergdahl, the guy you know, the guy who was a traitor to the U.S. Right, and. Uh, and he was he he was one of the first seals to use service dogs. They were the last of the of the services to get service dogs. And he he started to go up over a ridge in Afghanistan, and his dog pulled him back down by the by the shirt. And then the dog went up and got his head blown off. Oh my gosh! And um, and he came back, and he's now out of the out of the army, and he got he got ba- badly injured in his leg. And had I think 18 surgeries. He's now written a book, which is fascinating. But he came to speak at the Naval Academy one day in Annapolis, where we live, and I went to the luncheon. And you know, he's now devoted the rest of his life. He's now retired at 45 years old, but he has a good pension, and uh, and he's now spending the rest of his life. He's dedicated the rest of his life to um, uh, making sure that service dogs are properly handled after their time of service. For a long time, they were put to sleep. Oh. For a long time, a service dog who, uh, and, and there's some good reasons for that because they, they're trained to attack and things like that. But they can also be 
you know, they can also be, it can be managed so that that becomes less of a problem. But there have been tragic times when, you know, a guy has spent his whole, you know, career with a, with one service dog and they wouldn't let him have the service dog when he retired. And then, you know, six months later, they put the service dog down. And so he's doing things like that. It's not just service dogs for the military, but service dogs for police and service dogs for the disabled. So, you know, it's a just an inspiring example of, you know, what people can do with their lives if they get rid of this idea of retirement. We should never retire the gifts, the God-given gifts we have. We're, we're called to use them to the very end, and we will get the most satisfaction out of our life if we do that. Wow. It's a shame you're not passionate about this, Phil. <laughs> so you get excited every week. You write a new column, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Give, give us one more example of a column that you've written recently and, and how it gets you excited and yeah. how it gets well, other people. I, I've, I've now written 249 columns, and they're all on my website, bonusyearsliving.com. And uh, you can go on there and read them. They have pictures of people and that kind of thing. But you know, for example, uh, any on any given uh, Friday, I don't know who I'm going to turn in. My filing date is Wednesday. I, I usually don't know who I'm going to write about, but I dig somebody out of my memory or I meet somebody. I'll, I'll give you the most recent one. I walked into uh, Adam's Rib, which is a, a local uh, uh, you know rib shack in Annapolis, and I was going to meet a guy there for dinner about two weeks ago, and. I, I got there early, and there was a old geezer sitting there, and he had a hat on and said, you know, the greatest generation. So I went up to him, and I said, I sat down next to him at the table next to him, and I turned around. And I said, I said, hey, what, what, uh, what theater were you in? And he looked at me. He said, Pacific. I said, oh, great. I said, well, well, uh, uh, what, what, oh, what branch were you in? He said, the Navy. And I said, uh, he was a man, you know, like a lot of geezers, he was a man of few words. And, and I said, well, uh, what, uh, what ship were you on? He said, I wasn't on a ship. I said, well, how can you be in the Navy, how can you be in the Navy and not be on a ship? He said, because I was a CB. He said, you know what CBs are? And I said, yeah, I do know what CBs are. I said, I, I'm, you know, I'm not as old as you are, but I, I remember reading books about World War II and the CBs. And he said, well, I was a CB. And it turns out this guy was a CB on Okinawa, on Tinian, where he, he helped build the uh, uh, the runway that the Enola gave that stopped the atom bomb on Japan left from. He was a CB at Tarawa, one of the worst battles in the war. And in fact, that's where they learned the, that, that that's where he was one of the first uh, SEALs, in a sense, because he was one of the first guys who was part of the UDT, the underwater demolition teams, and they used them to blow up the, the reefs. So that the so that the landing craft could get in Tarawa, they got caught up on the on the reef and got shelled uh, by the Japanese from the from the island. And so this guy had an incredible background, you know, in the Navy as a UDT, as a uh, CB, and one of the first members of the UDT, the Frogman, the uh, you know, which is the precursor to the SEALs. So I wrote a story about this guy, Raymond uh, Finkel, Buddy Finkel is his name. And it turns out that he meets every morning, every single morning, five days a week at a local coffee shop uh, with a bunch of other guys. And uh, so uh, after I'd written the article about him, 
But before it had come out, I went over to this coffee shop just to check and see because he told me about it. I wanted to see what it was like. And sure enough, there were like five or six guys sitting around the table. And I walked up and I said, I said, well, I'm, I'm Phil Burgess. I'm the guy who I just wrote an article about, about uh, Ray. He said, Ray? This guy wrote an article about you? And you know, all this stuff about, about how uh, uh, the, the World War II guys are so modest. He hadn't told anybody. He, <laughs> and he said, yeah, 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 I forgot to say anything. And so then we talked about that for a while. But he had these guys, most of whom were 20 years younger than he was, so they're only 70, you know. <laughs> and uh, and they sit around there every morning for an hour, hour and a half, and they talk about everything from politics to the you know local city council to you know a pretty girl who's a new waitress well you know uh we're getting near the end of our time phil but you know thank you for being with us and i think we ought to all go to the uh column and bonus years and we'll list your website on our podcast description later so that people can find you because i think you've you've created not only are you finding other people that are interesting, but I think this makes your life interesting going forward. And I think you found your niche. I found your calling. And, you know, uh, how about another 10, 15 years? We'll read your columns. Keep reading your columns. <laughs> so thanks That'd for being be with us, Phil. And, uh, and, and thanks for imparting your wisdom to our listeners. And we'll, well be Ray and Casey, th- thank you guys for doing this because the message that you're getting out about later life is really important. We have to change the way we think about it and the way we conduct ourselves in it, uh, both people who are there as well as their children and their adult children and their grandchildren, because we have a lot to give and we need to uh, take every advantage to do that. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Phil. And uh, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back in a matter of seconds. This is Changing the Rules. Stay tuned to learn more about the Friends Connection and how you can be a part of this valuable life experience. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, This is Changing the Rules, and I'm Casey Dempster. And um, we wanted to uh, take a couple of minutes to update everybody on our upcoming Friends Connection Conference, which is April 17th in Philadelphia. And um, Ray's got some things he's excited about. Yes, we've been putting together the program for this event, and, uh, you know, we talk all the time about how important it is to have a plan for your senior years, and and uh, that if you don't have a plan, somebody else has a plan for you. So Sandy and I have kind of been investigating where we want to be and what we want to do, and uh, one of the problems with putting together a plan is because you don't know how long you have to plan for, and because we don't have the experience experience that takes us into all of these different venues of things that we can do, uh, sometimes it's hard to plan. So uh, one of the things that we did is we've been looking for maybe where we want to live in the future. And uh, we're currently living in an over 55 community. Uh, We uh, have our health care plan at home in place. And uh, now that Sandy is retired and that I kind of slowed down some of the things that I'm trying to focus on, we're finding we have more time to do some things, and we're trying to figure out where where to plan it. And do we go out of the area? So we just came back from a great place at Lake Lanier outside of Atlanta, Georgia, and where we were exploring what we might be able to do. And we've been exploring places around here. And I think the point is that 
you need to explore. You need to explore to find out what options are. You need to find out what uh, your resources are going to allow you to take. And this is why we put together this Friends Connection Conference. Mm -hmm. So when we do the Friends Connection Conference, we're going to start with a planning exercise, right? Right. And what are the three key pieces of that planning horizon, right? Mm -hmm. We're going to figure out what's working in our lives. Mm -hmm. And what's not working. And what's not working. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to explore a question. It's not our question. Uh, it's, it's a question that's very strategic. It's very futuristic. And, and if we were sitting here 90 days from today, what has to change for us to feel good about where we are? Mm -hmm. Well, a lot of the problem with, you know, we certainly know what's working in our lives. Uh, sometimes we know what's not working in our lives and sometimes we don't because we haven't explored the expansiveness of options available. And it's things like, where do you want to live? You know, how do you want to live? Do you want to live in a downsized community? You want to live, move in with your kids? Uh, do you want to go uh, down to Florida where Phil was uh, and then be drafted back for your grandchildren? <laughs> you know, what what is it that you want? Right. And, and how... a lot of times what you think you want changes. Yes, because that's what happened to you. I think your plan was you were going to stay in your house. You have a health care at home arrangement so that you could stay there. And um, we're looking for more changed. fulfillment. Mm -hmm. Yes. And sometimes you don't realize that right away. So the purpose of this planning conference is to get people to think like that. Mm -hmm. Now, at the one in April 17th in Philadelphia, we're going to explore four very, very specific things. Mm -hmm. It certainly isn't our entire life. Right. But it's all the time will allow. And then when we do our planning conference in 2021, and we will do that, uh, we're probably going to take four different ideas. Mm -hmm. And the whole idea is to be able to uh, start thinking. I, I guess maybe it's asking yourself the questions that you're not sure you know what the questions are. Right. Okay. Right. So part of this is the planning routine is a group thing. You can do this on your own up to a point. Uh, but I think you certainly need to have your spouse present or your significant other. And uh, you may want to have some of your friends present because they impact your plans. And uh, we often want to travel with people or we might want to move into a community with friends of ours. So where do they want to go to? Uh, your financial advisor has a big, big part in this because uh, he or she needs to make sure that the money is where it needs to be when it needs to be there. Mm -hmm. You know, most of us save this chunk of money. Yeah. And uh, we haven't thought out really what it's for in detail. We mm -hmm. have some general ideas, but now it's time to figure out what the details are. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're also going to explore legacies and we're going to explore healthcare. So I think uh, it's a wonderful conference and be able to sit down with friends, relationships, explore this. By the way, adult kids might be involved in this thing, too. So figure out who your planning um, advisory group is. Who's important to you? And uh, take a day, because we never take a day for ourselves, and take a day and sit down and plan your life, because if you don't, somebody else is going to plan it, and they're going to run it for you. That's for sure. 
Cool. So we'll be back in uh, two weeks with a another very interesting guest, and he's going to be talking a little bit with us about legacies. So uh, yes, and he's got an incredibly interesting, fascinating, motivating, and creative plan. Okay, then. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and um, we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you for listening to Changing the Rules, a podcast designed to help you live your life the way you want and give you what you need to make it happen. Join us in two weeks for our next exciting topic on Changing the Rules with Casey Dempster and Ray Lowe, the luckiest guy in the world. <laughs>